0: Welcome to another episode of Crazy Enough to Win. I'm your host, John Grubbs. Welcome to the show. Every now and then, a special opportunity surfaces in our lives. We have a unique and special opportunity to welcome Sarge Summers to this podcast. He is the founder and president of Oilfield Connections. He spent 22 years serving this great country in the Army. Now, I'm an Army guy, so I've got extra dose of respect for Sarge Summers. Sarge, we are crazy on this podcast. What makes you crazy enough to be our guest today?
1: Well, you know, you mentioned that I had been in the Army. Actually, it was 21 years, two days, four hours, and 15 minutes, but who's counting, right, John? (laughs) And I've been, in, I've been in the industry, oil and gas industry, for 28 years. And so that makes me pretty crazy right there.
0: Wow. Wow. I agree on both notes. You may not know this. <laughs> I don't know if I told you this or not, but I am a product of the oil field. My dad was, an, well, he was a tool pusher on on an offshore semi-submersible platform or drilling rigs that operated around the world. And, you know, it's in my blood, you know, the one thing that he told us boys, though, he said, I don't want you to go into oil and gas. It's just too volatile. And uh, neither my brother or myself ended up in what put food on our table and actually gave us a pretty good life. Uh, He made he made some decent money in in the oil field. So it's it's interesting. Um, What drew you to that industry
1: you know, that's a that's a good question. I uh, I didn't have a clue as to what I wanted to do after I left the military, and I had uh, joined the military on my 18th birthday, and at the end of my career, I was in Germany finishing up my third tour in the Cold War and uh, came down on orders. I got extended for a year, came down on orders to go to Monterey, California, to the 7th Infantry Division, and oh. while I was there, there was a, huh?
0: I said, oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. You
1: caught me, you caught me off guard. <laughs>
0: it slipped.
1: Anyway, I was with the 7th Infantry. The year before I got there, they went down and took Noriega out in Panama. And uh, so I missed all that. Uh, you know, went in the service during the Vietnam War. Half of us went to Vietnam, half went to Germany. I was in the group that went to Germany. And I'm going to get back to your question in just a second. Is that okay?
0: Absolutely.
1: Thank you john i was in the group that went to germany and one day i was telling the lady i said yeah ja, and she said oh you went to vietnam i said no obviously my german must be really really bad if you think that's vietnamese <laughs> so <laughs> anyway the, uh what had happened in 1987 there was a gentleman in his family they came to indianapolis and they started going to our church and i worked with a uh, christian ministry to boys called royal rangers and he had three sons that were in rangers And so what happened one day we were having lunch and I asked him, I said, what is it that you do for a living? And he started explaining it to me, talking about these above ground storage tanks, this, that, and the other. And I remember thinking so vividly, that sounds horrible. I don't think I'd ever want to be involved in anything like that. Well, how little did I know, but he was planning on inviting me into the industry when I retired from the army. And so when we got stationed in California, he called me and he said, can we come visit you? And they did, and we were walking along the beach there by Pebble Beach Golf Course. And he said, are you ever gonna retire from the Army? And I said, I'm seriously thinking about it. I said, I have to, I have to stay in another six months but I'm thinking about it. And he said, why don't you come to work for us? And uh, long story short, I did, I, I got into the industry and people have asked me for the last 28 years what that transition was like. And I just tell them, John, I'm still making that transition. <laughs>
0: Funny. The older I get, the more I, I guess I, I believe in this idea that we should never say never because never is a long time.
1: It is. It is. Yes, sir. And you couldn't, by the way, John. You, you, you know, people can't see you here on the radio, but I know that you couldn't be a day over twenty nine.
0: <laughs> Not right? too many days over twenty nine. I, I, I tell people, I, yeah, I'm, I'm over, I'm over twenty nine. You could, you could take that to the bank and be brutally honest about that. So, (laughs) here's a question for you. Yes, sir. Things seem to be opening back up in this economy. As a military guy, what are your thoughts on our response as a country to this pandemic?
1: Well, you know, I went through several stages uh, of feelings about this. Uh, The first thing that I thought, I I was really angry. I was angry because I've gone through this is my fourth downturn uh, in 28 years and I was angry because I knew what was fixing to happen. And and this was a double whammy for us, you know, and uh, so I just knew that a lot of the young guys that are working in the oil and gas industry are going to be hurt because Here's the problem. Many of them, and you can tell them, but they don't listen. But many of them, when they get these uh, six-figure jobs, driving a truck out in the Permian Basin or down the Eagle Ford Shale, you know, they go out and buy a new house, new truck, new car, new toys, and everything. And then when the bottom falls out, they don't have any money to pay for that. And then they have to deal with the banks. And so I was angry about the situation. I was concerned about the safety of our country. I was concerned about our people and uh, you know we've lost we've lost over 80,000 uh, that's more than we lost in the vietnam war we lost 58,000 plus in the vietnam war and so you know i went through several stages of of thinking about this and and i knew that we'd come back and we are coming back you know oil's on the rise i think the wti in the last few days has gone up and we're i think we're somewhere around 34 dollars unless it took a hit today i haven't seen but just just a lot of different thoughts you know i was concerned about our churches uh, in our community, as I was concerned about the leadership of our nation. Uh, all of this is very, very difficult.
0: Yeah. Do you think if, if at some point we're able to look back upon our response, do you, does any recess of your mind think we may have overreacted to this?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The, I, I, there are several areas uh, that I think we overreacted and I, and I think our, Our leadership, I hate to say the president, but I think our leadership got some some bad advice in many cases. And uh, you know, I just, uh, it's nuts. It's nuts what we've gone through. And most folks will will not go through something like this in their entire lifetime. Uh, And yet, you know, I'm uh, 67 years old and so I've seen a lot of different things. I mean, I can remember uh, where I was at when certain uh, things happened like 9-11 or when uh, JFK was shot and killed in Dallas, Texas. And the explosion, of, uh, you know, of the uh, help me out here Challenger, and uh, different things like I can remember where I was at during those events. And you know, a lot of times when we see stuff like this, it's more of a regional thing in our country. You know, maybe it's a tornado up in Oklahoma or Kansas, uh, Texas, whatever, or but or maybe it's a hurricane, you know, or maybe it's a flood, any number of things. And so, you know, we we process that differently when it's a regional event or, or if it's an event in some other country far, far away. But you know what, when you get slammed this hard in the United States of America and it affects all 50 of the States, it's a tough situation.
0: It sure is. It sure is. So, you know, looking forward, if, if there is a second wave, how do you think people in the government will respond?
1: I think they'll respond differently uh, this time. I think we've we've learned a lot from this uh, this first uh, I don't know ten twelve weeks. Uh, I know I've been home uh, almost uh, completely for the last uh, eleven weeks. And uh, but I think they'll I think they'll process it differently. You know I think that, that they'll take a different attitude and a different approach to to what's going on. I don't think it'll it'll be like it was this uh, this last time. And I I think we'll do a better job with it. Uh, you know it doesn't matter how much you prepare. You're going to get caught off guard when something like this happens. I mean, pandemics only come around what every 100 years or whatever, and uh, this this one has been has been tough. But you know, there's been worse pandemics uh, in our world uh, than the one that we're that we're, the one that we're currently going through.
0: Yeah. So the oil and gas sector, you mentioned this earlier, has taken two really hard punches, two hard blows to the chin. One, an oversupply issue, and right. two, the pandemic. What do you think the next year will be like?
1: You know, I had somebody ask me that question yesterday. I was, uh, wasn't on a podcast. I was on a go-to meeting with the Oilfield Connections International, and that was one of the questions that came up, and I really believe that we're going to, that we're going to continue to climb. Let me tell you a story and maybe I can answer it this way. My wife and I left Midland, Texas, out in the Permian Basin on August the 23rd, 2003, and we moved to Nashville, Tennessee. Her dad came down with cancer, and so we moved out there, but I continued to work in the oil and gas industry and travel, and I remember telling the people in Midland, we'd seen oil get down to $11 a barrel. I told them, I said, don't worry about it. I said, one day, I don't know when, but I said, one day you'll see oil get back to $40 a barrel. And it mm-hmm. went to 149 some profit that I am. Wow. But I think uh, I think this go around, I think that we're going to see it continue to climb. It may, you know, it, it'll take a dip or two here and there, but I think it'll continue to climb. And I've, I'm optimistic. I believe that we're going to see it uh, by the end of this year. I think we'll see it back at least $70 a barrel, which will be totally outstanding.
0: Yeah, that will be good for sure. So let me shift gears just a little bit trying to keep you off guard here because you seem to be really good at this. Um, you are known for your Sarge-isms. Where in the world did that come from? What are those about?
1: <laughs> you know, it's, um, <laughs> I'm glad you asked that question. I, I just I just believe that, you know, it's it's good to laugh at ourselves. And it's uh, it's better to laugh at ourselves than, than trying to laugh at somebody else. And when I was in the military, I had a colonel, and uh, I don't recall what his name was. It's been a long time ago, but, but he had these isms. And so, you know, he would put out these command reports, you know, and, and it was uh, whatever his name was. Perry, Colonel Perry, Perryisms or whatever, and he'd put these little things. But his were always real serious. I try not to be serious with myself, my Sargeisms, and and a lot of times I borrow some of that material. But when I do, I try to I try to say, hey, this is a quote, or I borrowed this. Uh, but I just I see I see things that other people sometimes don't see. I can yeah. be looking out the front door uh, of my house. And I'll see a truck go by, and it'll stimulate a thought in my mind. Or someone will say something, or I'll be listening to a country song. I love country music, and uh, somebody will say something, and it just it just triggers something in my mind, and I will put it down in my notes. And I'll come back. I probably have three thousand of these uh, at any time. And what I do is when I publish them, I put a date next to the uh, next to the Sargism in my notes, uh, so that I don't come back and use that right away and they're just you know they're just little short writings i i'm not into the blogs uh, i don't do a podcast of my own i don't have any real plans to ever do that uh but these little sargisms they're quick uh people identify with them a lot of times not everybody accepts them i can tell you that john i've, <laughs> I've had a couple of people call me on the carpet for for things that i've said and uh but that's okay that's okay it stimulates thought it gets people talking and acting and thinking and, and that's good that's good stuff
0: i agree i think that's that's really good stuff uh, sometimes if we can just create a spark that's all it takes for someone to realize something or acknowledge something or even discover something so what advice would you give a young person maybe someone that's coming out of high school maybe someone that's graduating from college who are just set on going into oil and gas, what advice would you give them for their career?
1: You know, it's going to depend on the individual. There there are some that I would suggest, you know, if I could sit down and talk to them for a few minutes and, and really hear their heart. Uh, you know, a lot of times we hear people talking, but we don't hear their heart. And if I could hear their heart, and if I could ask them just a few questions, kind of like what you've done on this podcast with me, I would know how to direct them. But I'm going to be honest with you, the majority of the folks, I would recommend that they get involved in the oil and gas industry, but I want them to know uh, what it's like. I want them to know that every few years there's going to be a downturn and that they need to be prepared for that. And then again, like I said, there's others that I would, I would try to persuade them to go a different direction. It's kind of like, like sales and marketing mm. or sales and business development. That's not intended for everyone. Not everybody can be a good salesperson. And uh, my approach to sales is so much different than, than so many other people. And you, you'll see that and read that and hear that when you, when you listen to my sargisms, I have a different approach. And I just, uh, I just honestly believe that we ought to be honest with everybody. I don't care if it's a janitor at the school. I don't care if it's the person waiting on us in the restaurant. I don't care if it's in the C-suite. We ought to treat everybody with respect. And so, you know, if somebody came to me and said, "Hey, you know, I'm getting ready to graduate college." I'd say, "Okay, well what what degree do you have? What degree will you have? And let's talk about this and and what makes you think that uh, you that you can cut it in the oil and gas industry." And we'd have a we'd have a very honest, very frank conversation, and then I would decide whether to encourage them to go into oil and gas or if I would encourage them to go somewhere and maybe milk cows or something like that. I don't know. <laughs>
0: that's hilarious so do you remember the song mama don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys
1: to be cowboys yes sir yes sir
0: you think the same thinking might apply to oilfield workers as well
1: it it does in a lot of cases yeah i i look at it on a case-by-case case basis and uh you know we're uh we're not a large community when you think about it i mean even the even the entire energy industry is not that big mm-hmm. and um Somebody told me that one time they said they thought there was a lot of cross, uh, breeding in there. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) probably not something that you wanted me to say on your your podcast, but, Uh but, uh, anyway, anyway, you know, you'd go to a bid meeting and, uh, someone would say, Oh, they'd come in and they'd say, okay, who's working for whom today, you Mm. know, and there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth to that. So. Yeah, you
0: know, something I've noticed as a change, you know, there there used to be a pretty negative uh, image of the oil and gas industry from a business development, almost like it was uh, take advantage or be taken advantage of. It seems like that's gotten better in the last 10 years. Like it's it's a more, I guess it's, it's a more mainstream industry, just like anything else. Do you see the same thing? I theory? agree.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I agree. I think it's gotten a lot better. Um, I think that people have begun to realize uh, how important it is that they take care of the customer and uh, do everything that they possibly can. I remember interviewing with a company up in uh, Louisville, Kentucky uh, several years ago, and so they, uh, the CEO told me, he said, you know, he said that we like you, we, we're going to make you a written offer. We want you to come to work for us. We believe that you're the guy that's going to take us to that next level. I, I started shrinking in the chair thinking, oh my God, what did I do here? You know, and, uh, but I told him, I said, listen, I need to tell you three things about me before you hire me. And he, and he kind of leaned back and he said, well, what are they? I said, number one, I said, you need to understand I'm a born-again Christian. I said, I don't know how you process that. That's not my problem. But I said, I do feel like I need to tell you that. Secondly, I need to tell you that I'm gonna spend a lot of your money because I believe in red carpet treatment for the customers, but I'm gonna make you a lot of money in the process. And he said, well, that's what we've heard and that's why you're sitting here. Hmm. And then the third thing, I said, listen, my wife travels, this was back then. I said, my wife travels with me everywhere I go. And I said, 'I I don't want you to misunderstand. She doesn't sit in the car. When I go in and talk to the customer, she goes in with me. And my wife is 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 the most incredible person in the world. She really is. I told him, I said, if I'm in the boardroom, if I'm doing a PowerPoint presentation, I may stop right in the middle of the presentation and let my wife answer a couple of questions. I said, my goodness, she's heard she's heard my rhetoric rhetoric so many times. She knows exactly what I'm going to say before I say it.
0: Wow, that that's 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 definitely unique, you know, and I think it's wonderful to have that kind of support in the field not just at home so that's that's awesome yes sir so do yes, you bel- do you believe there is always an opportunity in oil and gas and the reason i'm asking the question is I, i'm coaching several oil and gas ceos right now and in each one of their different businesses we have found opportunity at the bottom of this market do you, do you agree with that no matter what the conditions are
1: i think I think there are exceptions to to every rule uh, and and i don't i'm I wasn't really prepared for that question. I'll be honest with you, but one thing I will tell you, and you've seen this in some of the sargisms. I don't pull any punches when it comes to those that, uh, you know, the CEOs and the COOs and so on and so forth. And I know a lot of those guys because I've called on them. I'm friends with a lot of them. I've, I've built great relationships over the last 28 years. But one of the things that I really, really would encourage the folks in the C-suite is to get out of there, to get out of the, to get out of the office, to get into the field, get out there with the employees and, and bump elbows and, and learn what their people are really doing. And I'm going to tell you something. Most of the greatest I ideas in our industry have not come and come from the boardroom, in my opinion, they've come from the field. Hmm. You know, and so if that information can get processed back to the corporate office, then that's where a lot of a lot of the, the great decisions have been made. Unfortunately, there are some folks that would take credit for the decision and it, it they didn't have any input whatsoever. They just they just heard it through the grapevine, so to speak.
0: Yeah it sounds like you're saying some of the people in The C-suite, the boardroom need to get a little mud on their boots every now and then.
1: Every once in a while. I had a great CEO uh, when I worked for a company out of Beaumont and uh, actually his office was here in Houston, but I remember he would, he would come out to the field and, and I would take him around and, and uh, you know, it was kind of funny because his hard hat uh, sat way up high on his head. And he looked kind of funny. He looked out of place, to be honest with you. But here's the thing: he was willing to get out there where the crews were working and talk to the talk to the individual crew members. And uh, I so appreciated that.
0: And he learned a lot.
1: He used to call me when I'd be on the road. I was I was in uh, outside of Detroit, Michigan, on December the 23rd. This was several years ago. And he called me and he says, "Where you at?" And I said, "I'm in Detroit." And he said what are you doing in Detroit? I said, well, I'm calling on customers. He said, you do understand that it's December the 23rd. I said, yes, sir, and I'll be home for Christmas. You don't need to worry about that. And he says, well, you need to pick up the phone and call me every once in a while. I said, no, sir, I don't. I don't. That's that's not that's not my place. I said if you if you want to know what the old Sarge is thinking, you need to pick up the phone and call me, just like you just did. He said, "Well, you're you know you're my eyes and my ears in the field." I said, "Yes, sir. I know that. I understand that." And we had a great relationship. Had a wonderful relationship. Hey, I want to tell you too. Two of the two of the incredible uh, general officers that I ever got to serve with. Listen to this. One of them, uh, I served with him when he was a lieutenant colonel in the infantry. And he went on to command the 82nd Airborne when they went into Iraq in 2003. And he was just an incredible general officer. Unfortunately, what happened uh, was during his time over there, uh, he and about eight other general officers decided that they wanted to see the Secretary of Defense get fired. And so so they wrote a letter and they all signed it and it backfired on them. So he lost his job. And I I won't say his name. The other one, I will say his name. Was, uh, I served with him when he was a major and, again, when he was lieutenant colonel uh, at Fort Harrison in Indianapolis. And he went on uh, to make three-star general, and he died in the Pentagon on 9-11. He was the highest-ranking officer that was killed on 9-11 in the Pentagon.
0: And what was his and name? His name
1: was uh, Tim- Timothy J. Maud. Say that again. Timothy J. Maud Wow, that's that's incredible. He was from Indiana. He grew up in Indianapolis, and uh, just uh, both of those guys were absolutely incredible officers. The one, the one that that commanded the 82nd Airborne, he was a West Point graduate and uh, just an incredible golfer. He he beat me like a redheaded stepchild, and I'm a good golfer, (laughs) but he he just tore me a new one. Then I found out later that he had uh, captained uh, the golf team when he was at West Point. Nobody told me that.
0: Wow. What a great story. What a great story. You know, my oldest son was in the Army Corps uh, of Cadets at Texas A&M and, and opted not to go into the military, he opted to go into sales instead. And my youngest is between his sophomore and junior year. And I think he may consider the military, but I, I tell young people, if you're not sure what to do in your life, the military is just an amazing first step into adulthood. What would you, would, would you agree with that?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I grew up in a family of 16, uh, John, mom and dad and 14 children. My mother was 31 when she had her final child and uh, no twins. She only had one perfect child. I'll pause right there. And she only had one perfect child, and that was my older sister. I didn't want you to think it was me. (laughs) But uh, I left home on my 18th birthday. I joined the Army. I I was a senior in high school in Hobbs, New Mexico at Hobbs High. And I went into service, and when I got to Monterey, California, Fort Ord, Planet Ord, as we used to call it, uh, there were 11 of us that did not have a high school diploma out of 160 in our basic training company. And they marched us to a building, we took the GED, and only three of us passed it. Fortunately, I was one of the three. And when I got to Germany, I sent for my high school transcript. I needed two half credits to graduate. And I graduated high school in Nuremberg, Germany, and then started working on my college. And I've got 146 semester hours uh, which uh, and no degree, which makes me a real smart dummy. <laughs>
0: Wow! What a story! What a story! Yeah, that uh, it sh- that shows some grit and determination too. So I, I I'm in, I'm impressed by that. So let me let me catch you off guard a little bit. If if your life was a country song, which one would
1: it be? I fell into a Ring of Fire. <laughs> Johnny Cash. It's hilarious. <laughs> oh, I don't God. know why. I don't know. Why. Or take this job and shove it. Oh, that's no. Funny. I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I was.
0: Talking- I was podcasting with a with a gentleman earlier in the week, and uh, he mentioned Johnny Cash, and and I, I I told him I said I was on I was in Nashville a few months ago on business, maybe been eight months ago by now, and I, I got to attend or, or or experience the Johnny Cash Museum in Nashville. Have you ever done that?
1: Oh yeah, been there several times. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, have. I've been to his house. Uh, do you know who bought Johnny Cash's house years after? After it was sold, no clue. L- little trivia quit The Bee Gees. Really? The Bee Gees. Yeah, yes, yeah. Uh-huh. They bought. They bought his place. They sure did. We were. We, you know, we were really blessed being in being in Nashville, and we were all the time running into country stars, and most of them don't consider themselves country stars. They, I mean, they don't consider themselves celebrities. Uh, some of them do, but a lot of them don't. I mean, we ran. We ran into everybody. You, you name one, and man, we ran into them and and it was, it was great. It was awesome. Awesome. Great experience. Oh, our neighbor was, uh, our neighbor was Reba McIntyre. How's that for, how's that for a star?
0: I want to live in that neighborhood. Yeah, that's impressive.
1: (laughs) Well, we had two acres and she had 300. And (laughs) so her place butted, butted up to ours, ours butted up to her. I'd tell everybody, I said, Reba McIntyre was our neighbor. My wife said, you need to quit telling people that, you know, she wasn't, it wasn't like she was, you know, bringing milk and cookies over to the house or whatever, you know. But uh, I will tell you this, she was very close. Reba was very close with my wife's sister. And when my wife's sister passed away, unfortunately, at a very young age, about 52, uh, from cancer, uh, Reba was going to come to the funeral there in Nashville, in Lebanon, outside of Nashville, home of the Cracker Barrel restaurant. And she didn't want to disrupt the funeral. uh, So she sent her daughter-in-law uh, which is Kelly Clarkson
0: oh wow wow yep. that's yep. a small community too isn't it
1: it is it really is and uh, there, there are some of the greatest people in the world uh, in country music hey there's only two kinds of music did you know that John
0: no what are they
1: yeah country and western
0: oh <laughs> that's it man <laughs>
1: i may have caught you
0: off guard you did you tickled me to death though so so i keep having this image of you know the bgs living in deceased johnny cash's house singing staying alive staying alive staying alive
1: yeah oh man hey listen that, that how much time do we have
0: uh we've got a few minutes left
1: let me tell you this man years ago I was living in Midland, and I was uh, calling on some customers in Nashville. I'd take them out to a football game. It was a Monday night game. And the next day, I headed back to the airport to get on Continental, back when Continental was still in airlines. And I saw this guy in the, in the snack area, and he had on a Dallas Cowboys cap backwards. I said, hey, buddy. I said, how long have you been a Cowboys fan? He said all my life, just like that. And I said, Really? I said, I said, where are you from? He said, I'm Beaumont, Texas. I said, Beaumont, Texas. I said, I understand there's some great country western singers come out of come out of there. He said, That's what I heard. He said, Where are you from? I said, I'm from Midland, Texas. He said, What do you do? I said, Well, I'm in business development. I work in the oil and gas industry. I said, What do you do? He said, I'm a country western singer. I said, Really? I said, Well, your face is familiar. I said, I said, I'm embarrassed. Go ahead and tell me who you are. He said, I'm Mark Chestnut. Oh. And uh, did you ever ask somebody a question? Want to reach out there and just pull the words back? My uh. next question to him was, well, what are you doing in Nashville? Oh, and, and I just knew he was going to write a song someday about this idiot at the airport that asked him what he was doing in Nashville. But he answered my question. He said, I'm getting, a, it was nine o'clock in the morning. He said, I'm getting a beer. He said, "I've been hanging out with Chesney and McGraw for the last three days. I got to have a beer."
0: <laughs> well, and it,
1: I haven't seen the guy since.
0: <laughs> that's that's so that's so great. So I got to give you an uh, airplane story that that's related to the oil and gas industry. too. my dad, you know, he would fly everywhere because he worked overseas. So he was on an airplane every two weeks or every month, depending on what his rotation was. And he came back yeah. one month with a funny story. He said, you'll never guess who I saw on an airplane this, this trip. And we all said, who? And he said, I saw Ray Charles. And I said, Ray oh. Charles? He said, yes, he was reading a Braille Playboy in first class on the plane.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Some, some
0: <laughs> stories you just never forget, oh. George.
1: Oh, no, that's right. <laughs> Especially a story like that. Yeah. Hey, listen, can I, can I say a little something about oil field connections? I'm going to get to that. I, I,
0: I, I've got that oh, on my okay. list. I'm, I'm going I'm to make sorry? sure we get that in. I just had one more question before we get to that. And yes, you know, this this podcast is about going big. Where's the uh-huh. big opportunity in oil and gas? What do you think is that, that if someone's listening, what's the big opportunity? What does your gut tell you?
1: Well, you know, uh, if you'd asked me that question 20 years ago, I I would have had a different answer than I do today. I think that that the biggest thing going out there or coming up has not yet been discovered. Mm -hmm. And we are learning, we are learning every day. Uh, with the geophysicists and the geologists and all the different ones that study this stuff, we're finding out more and more of these oil and gas shale plays across the country and around the world. And so, I think there's going to be there's going to be something that's really, really going to going to catch our attention. Something that's going to surprise us. Something out out of the box. Uh, and I don't know exactly what that's going to be, uh, but I tell you, and it, and it may not be landmass. It it may be an invention. It may be some kind of a uh, you know a new a new technique. Uh, my goodness, just think about uh, what's what's been accomplished just in recent years. You know, with the, with the uh, vertical. I'm sorry, not the vertical. With the horizontal drilling and, and the fracking and, and everything else that uh, that's taken place. By the way, you do you do know uh, two of the two of the most important elements in the process, don't you? What? It's not. It's it, it's water and sand water and sand. Yeah. And yeah. I've, I've been to some of these uh, conferences. I did 22 uh, conferences last year, trade shows and conferences. And one of them, they were at the Doug conference with the hard energy. They were talking about the water and talking about the sand. And I'm looking at that and I, I'm i sitting there thinking, maybe I need to get out of the oil business, get getting water business or the sand business, you know? And, uh, but listen, there's going to be plenty of opportunity uh, for people in our industry. And here's the thing, if you're willing to work, if you're willing to roll up the sleeves and, and just get after it, you can make a great living out here and you can leave your mark. See, I'm at the age now, John, where I'm more concerned about my family and concerned about my legacy. And uh, I, don't, I don't know what that's going to be. I don't, I don't have any idea what that's going to be. But I tell people all the time, they say, what's important to you, Sarge? And I said, well, for me, it's my faith, it's my family, and it's my friends. Mm. And I put a very high premium on all three of those things.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. So tell us about oil field Connections. What is that about?
1: <laughs> it's a short story. <laughs> we started, uh, I, I had the idea in December of 18. Uh, and so in January of 19, I invited about 25 people to meet with me at the Cracker Barrel in Midland, Texas. And we had 11 that showed up and that's, that's, that's where we started. And then uh, we decided we'd meet every other month. And so the next month we met in Odessa over breakfast at uh, Egg and I. And then after that, we moved it uh, over to Midland and started doing lunches and still meeting every other month, averaging 25 or 30. November rolled around and we had 28. And so we had an after action review, after action meeting, after the luncheon. And I told the group, I said, listen, here's the deal. I said, if we want to see this thing grow, we're going to have to think bigger and we're going to have to start meeting every month on the same day of the month at the same location at the same time and we're going to have to start using online registration january rolled around and we had 75 or 76 february we had uh we had 65 i think but we had all kinds of snow and ice and then in march which was our last meeting uh we had uh, 165 and that's wow. pretty explosive growth and then what we did was we started adding chapters, and from January of this year until the middle of March, we've added 17 chapters, and we've still got, uh, you know, we've still got five or ten more uh, that we're taking a look at right now, different locations, and uh, so, you know, we've, we've, we've done a lot of work, uh, built a lot of infrastructure. Uh, we're not in competition with any other of uh, organization or program that's out there. I'm a member of the Oldfield Christians Fellowship. I'm a member of the Oldfield Helping Hands, uh, four of the Pipeliners Club, AUSA, American Legion, and the list goes on. And And we're not in competition with anybody. We promote them uh, we talk it up. Matter of fact, I'm the guest speaker in uh, June for the Oilfield Helping Hands in the Permian Basin. And so, you know, we're wanting to work friendly. We're wanting to, to do what we can to, to help meet the needs of the people in our industry. We're all about networking. We're all about mentoring. We're all about service and giving back to, to people and to the community. And that's what we're all about. And if anybody wants to take a look, they can go to oilfieldconnections.net. Say that again?
0: oilfieldconnections.net oilfieldconnections.net all one word oilfieldconnections.net
1: that's correct that's correct and we're on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and you know all the others
0: awesome oilfieldconnections.net so you may not know this but we have listeners around the world we just picked up some listeners in Kenya Africa we've got list, we've got listeners on every continent right now except for Australia which i don't understand that because when i was in the army i just got to spend 45 days in Australia oh wow What did you do
1: in the Army, John?
0: I was a grunt, Army Infantry, 25th Infantry Division, just a, a, they called us.
1: uh, My uh, son-in-law was in the 25th over in uh, Honolulu.
0: That's where I was for three and a half years in the early 90s. They called us 11 Bullet Stoppers, 11 Bravo. Well,
1: that's when they were there and his dad was there. His dad was a first sergeant and our grandson was born at Tripler and uh, he was our miracle baby and he grew up and he served in the 4th Infantry Division in Afghanistan. And South Korea.
0: Wow! And for you listeners, yep. uh, Tripler Hospital in Hawaii is a huge pink building that just stands out it in is. the middle <laughs> of, the, of the of the beautiful green scenery. You see this big pink monster in the middle.
1: <laughs> you know that's a funny story because I, I flew over on a C five Galaxy, which is just a massive airplane. I I'm getting ready to get off the plane, and I I saw this Air Force officer, and I said, "Can you tell me how to get to Tripler?" <laughs> He pointed at that pink building. He said, "That's it."
0: Yeah, it's it's just it's odd. It's just anyway. an odd
1: thing. Hey, we, listen, I want to tell you that I appreciate your service to our country as well, oh,
0: John. Thank you so much. I, I'm I'm I think I'm more proud of that period in my life than any of the other thing that I've done. So it's a it's an honor. My brother I was in. He day. was in at the same time. So I, you know, this is Memorial Day weekend. So you know, I, I think remembering those that we lost is a uh, is a special time. Um, Here you. Here's a question. Um, if, since we have listeners around the world, I like to have my guests explain to everyone where you are at at this moment. Where are you living? Where are you calling in from?
1: We we actually live uh, in a golfing community called Oakhurst, and it's in Kingwood. We're 27 miles northeast of Houston. And when we first moved here, we were going to a church in humble texas and i told a lady one sunday i said my wife and i sure do like it here in humble she said sir it's not that the h is silent she said it's pronounced humble i said wonderful i said that town south of here is it pronounced Houston?" <laughs> she did not laugh john i don't she think so i
0: don't think uh, so. No.
1: <laughs> so
0: is it what's the what's the weather like is it hot is it humid is it i mean what's what's it like in houston right now
1: it's a very balmy 92 degrees this afternoon i've been out today and uh, went over to katie uh you know houston is the fourth largest city in the united states and and before long we will be the third largest city because we're going to pass chicago and uh but it's man it's hot it gets you know you've been down here it gets really really hot down here and uh, oh i want to say this too john and hopefully you won't edit this out but folks if you have not Read John's books. If you've not seen his work, you need to, you need to get his you need to get it. He he sent me a free copy. I don't think he's going to do that with everybody. He sent me a free autographed copy of one of his books, and I'm telling you, this man knows his stuff.
0: Sarge, thanks for that little plug. I appreciate that more than you know. Um, I'm a foodie. My son's a foodie. My son lives in Houston, actually, just moved to Houston. He's uh, just lost a sales job down there in Houston. And he's, he's, got a, he's on the hunt for another one who lives in downtown. But one of the things I like to have all my guests describe is what's the food scene like where you live? Because if we have someone in Europe that may be thinking about a trip to Houston, uh, what do you recommend if someone's visiting Houston as far as the food scene goes? Can,
1: can I name the name of the restaurant? Absolutely. Oh, Okay. Okay. You know what? This is a melting pot. Houston is an is an absolute melting pot. We've got we've got people that live here from probably every country in the world, and uh, for us down here, it's it's all about Tex-Mex. It's mm-hmm. all about Tex-Mex. So you can go to Gringos, you can go to Papasitas. Uh, if you want seafood, we got plenty of that, you know, and Papa Do's and and uh, uh, Papa Seafood. Uh, one of my favorite places, though, is. Uh, uh, what's it called? Taste of Texas. Mm. Taste of Texas. It's down off interstate 10. It ain't cheap, but I'm going to tell you something. It is good. It is good. So it's all about the beef. It's all about the barbecue. It's all, it's all about the Mexicans. We just like to eat down here. There's lots of fat people and there's lots of fat people in Houston, John.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Amen. When, when my son moved to Houston, you know, he, he was, he was on, uh, on lockdown in Houston for several months. I, I don't think anybody under thirties lockdown locked down anymore, by the way, they're all out, but, um, right, they're, right. They're, they flunked the uh, quarantine, but, but he would literally be able to have, well, a different restaurant, deliver a
1: different type of food to him
0: every day of the week, you know, yeah. in
1: his apartment. It, oh. oh yeah. Yeah. What part of Houston is he in?
0: He's in the downtown part. He 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 lives. Around yeah, the Heights. Yeah, he lives around the. Uh, well, I don't know. It's at the intersection of two major freeways. Right right there next to the hospital. I don't know what that area okay. would be called, but it's it's downtown. Okay. And he. Well, you
1: said that he's uh, he's looking for his next uh, job. If, if he would like to send me his resume, I would love to float that for him.
0: Okay. He's my son, and you know what you just told me about oil and gas. So I'm, I want you to be careful with that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm going to suggest he goes in the military.
0: There you go. <laughs> there Infantry. You
1: go. There want, you go. I want to see. Uh, I'll hey,
0: John, you're the. You're,
1: you're. I'll,
0: I'll connect you guys for sure.
1: That sounds good, John. You're the best.
0: Oh, thanks. You really
1: are. Thank, thank you so much for the honor of being able to to do this po- podcast with you today. This is this is unlike any other podcast that I've ever done. Honestly. Hey
0: we are crazy on this podcast that's that's we crazy. are we're crazy we are. <laughs> and, and i wanted to give you a chance to plug anything that you may want to plug before we sign off any anything that we may have missed that you want to uh to plug with your business or or anything
1: else that's going on i i appreciate that you know john i uh i worked in the above ground storage tank industry that's asts i call them mitbs you know what that is no that's money in the bank money in the bank, MITBs. But I did that for 24 years. And a little over four years ago, I decided uh, I was 22 days shy of my 63rd birthday. And I decided it was time for me to start my own business. So I have an LLC now called Sarge's Industry Solutions. And, uh, you know, I figured if Colonel Sanders could do it, I could do it. And I tell you, it's it's been more fun the last four and a half years running this company. And my new website just came out yesterday. It's uh, industry breakthroughs Dot com, industrybreakthroughs.com. So I would encourage the people to go take a look at that. Uh, there's some funny stuff on there as well. Uh, most of it's serious. Uh, but I, I work upstream, midstream, downstream, do a lot of uh, consulting. I represent products and services for other companies uh, around, the, around the world, actually. And, uh, and and I think you know this about me, John, I also do a lot of public speaking.
0: Absolutely. So say the name one more time. So in case they missed it, they can have that website as well.
1: Yeah. Industry breakthroughs. That's plural.com. Industry breakthroughs.com
0: industry breakthroughs.com. Sarge, yes, thanks sir. for coming on the show. I want to just remind all the listeners that uh, we will keep having crazy people on this show because crazy people, <laughs> well, they make crazy. The magic happen in life. They're the ones that are crazy enough to go big. They're crazy enough to start a new company at 63 years old. They're crazy enough to get things done. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, we are gonna have Sarge back on this podcast to get a little more Sargisms. And next time I'll give you a little warning so you can bring some of those Sargisms with you, Sarge. Thanks for being on the show.
1: Thank you and God bless you, John.